The rest of us are going to talk about some different 316s in the Bible, and uh, this has been done by, by several churches that I have seen, and we're putting our own spin on what uh, we want to do, picked out some different ones than what some other churches have, have done, but there's a lot of different 316s in Scripture. In fact, almost every book in the Bible has a chapter 3 and a verse 16. Not all of them, but most of them do, and so we really had to get choosy as to what ones we wanted to... Um, uh, to use. And, and so today we're going to kick off with what is probably the best known, not just 316, but it's the best known passage of Scripture uh, in the entire, at least Western world, if not the entire world, and that is John 316. We sang it just a moment ago, God so loved the world. In fact, the NLT, the New Living Translation, says it this way, for this is how God loved the world. In fact, you could almost put, and I don't want to add to Scripture, we're warned not to add to or take away, but when you dig into the meaning of this, this is what the translation is saying. This is how much God loved the world, right? This is how much He loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. We've heard that verse so many times down through the years that I think sometimes we listen to it now and it almost, it, it, I, I don't want to say it gets, it doesn't get old, but it almost like we've heard it so much that, that maybe it doesn't resonate with us like it should. Or maybe we've just kind of lost that, that, um, that appreciation for what this verse means because we've used it so much. But this is, this is basically what the entire gospel hinges upon. Now, many of you know that, that uh, yeah, I'm a football fan, and a lot of you might be as well. And you might remember during the 2011-2012 playoffs in the NFL, there was a guy by the name of Tim Tebow who played for the Denver Broncos. Anybody remember this story when it happened, right? And he stirred up a lot of controversy. He's a devout Christian. He stirred up a lot of controversy, a lot of media attention when he led the Broncos to an amazing overtime victory against the favored Pittsburgh Steelers. Sorry, Will and Jess Smith. Um, but uh, that was an incredible victory. And I, I, I'm not even a Broncos fan, but I disliked the Steelers so much when he did that. I was just like, yeah, because I'm a Cowboys fan. Pray for me uh, because uh, you all know where, uh, you know, what that's all about probably. But anyway, I was just happy, not, not because the Steelers lost, but because Tim Tebow, a good Christian guy, did what he did. And it's cool to see Christian people succeed, right? But here's... The amazing part about that story, the media started calling attention to a lot of his statistics, a lot of the numbers that he put up during that particular performance. In that particular game, Tim Tebow passed for a total of 316 yards. His average pass completion went for 31.6 yards. The overnight TV rating for the last 15 minutes of the game was a 31.6. You see all these threes and ones and sixes all in here, this 316. And what makes this statistic even more co 
coincidental is that in 2009, when Tebow played in the NCAA uh, football national championship game for the Florida Gators, on his face, when all of the cameras zoomed into his face, he had this eye black under his eyes, and he wrote the passage of Scripture, John 3.16, under his, his eyes, and he stirred up a lot of controversy because he was proclaiming his belief in Christ. I don't believe that this is a coincidence. I don't believe that all those numbers are a coincidence because what happened is people started going, whoa, what's all that about? And so they started Googling John 3.16. They started looking it up and they started reading the gospel. Long before Tim Tebow, Christians have displayed John 3.16 in public places, oftentimes at sporting events. How many of you have seen the crazy rainbow-haired guy, right? You, you've seen him maybe in the end zone holding the John 3.16 sign. Oftentimes it's at sporting events. John 3.16 is the best-known passage of Scripture. But I'm afraid that down through the years we've just I, taken it for granted, maybe. And I think it's fair for us to say, why does it get so much attention? Why is it such a big deal? Why does everybody know it? Well, I think it's a big deal because we are given in one sentence, we are given a summary of the entire gospel. We're given a summary of what God did for us. It announces the good news of the Bible in just a few words. You can even tweet the entire verse uh, without abbreviations because you're only allowed so many characters, right? Unless they change that now that Twitter's changed. I don't know. But, but anyway, you, you, you've got 125 characters, including spaces. And you can quote, this is, I did this just the other day to make sure this is true. You can, you can tweet the entire John 3.16 for all the world to see without abbreviating or without anybody being misunderstanding what you're talking about. You can do this. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son who ever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And here's the deal. In these few words, there's a lot at stake. We can never underestimate just how much is at stake in this one passage of Scripture. People have the opportunity to choose life through Jesus or to perish in a place that the Bible calls hell. And that's important. That's important stuff. We can never underestimate that. That can never become old hat. When all is said and done, when your life is over, the question, it's put out there for us in John 3.16, do you want to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven, or do you want to choose to live apart from Him in a place that the Bible calls hell? And this summarizes the entire um, book of what we call the Gospels or what we, why Jesus came. It's the good news. The good news begins in John 3.16, two amazing truths about God. Here's the first one. If you're going to find eternal life, you need to understand these two truths. And the first amazing truth about God is this. God loves people. There's a common misconception among many people who don't know God, people who don't understand the gospel, and it goes something like this. God just can't wait for us to mess up so he can zap us. A lot of people grew up in churches with this very legalistic, with this very vengeful, this very wrathful God, and we see him as this cosmic killjoy who just can't wait to wipe us out. 
Now, I'm sure that most of you in here today don't believe that. That's why you're here worshiping him. But maybe there's a few of you that that is the way you were raised. Maybe you do kind of feel that way. You're just kind of searching God out right now. Maybe some of you are watching online right now. and Maybe that's your view of God. Speaking of watching online, uh, I meant to say this earlier, but uh, Spencer informed me that we have a guest watching online today from Africa. Isn't that awesome? Welcome, uh, yeah, welcome to uh, worshiping with us this morning. Because here's the deal. Most of the people in the world, including Africa, including all the other continents, most of the people in the world do not believe in God. They don't believe in Jesus Christ. And if, if they have heard something about God, they've kind of got this skewed image of God for whatever reason. Maybe it's because their vision of people is not very good. We're skeptical of people. And because we've been treated badly by people then we have this view of God that's not very good. Or maybe we have actually seen some Christians in action who are very judgy, who are very condemning, who love to see people get what's coming to them, right? We, don't we love, I mean, be honest, how many of you love to see the bad guy get it in the end, right? In the movie, don't you just love to see, I mean, don't you cheer for Dirty Harry? Am I the only one, Right? It reminds me of the story of Harriet. Harriet was a church gossip. She was the self-appointed supervisor of the church. She kept sticking her nose into other people's business, and several people were very unappreciative of her activities, but they feared her enough to kind of keep their distance, right? However, one time she made a huge mistake, and she accused George, who was a new member of the church. She accused him of being an alcoholic after she saw his pickup truck parked all afternoon out in front of the town's only tavern. And she commented to George and all of the other people that were there in the church that day that anyone seeing the truck parked out in front of the tavern all day long would know that he's an alcoholic. And she just berated him in front of everybody. And George, who was a man of few words, stared at her for a moment, walked away. Didn't say a word. He just walked away. Later that night, George quietly got in his pickup truck, drove to her house, parked it out in front of her house, and left it there all night. Don't we love stories like that? Don't we love when they get what's coming to them? We love it. We love to get people back. Sometimes we don't like people. Can I get an amen to that? Not too loud. Not too loud. You know, and, and I say this a lot, and I hope it doesn't ever get old, but I just have to throw it out every once in a while. My good old mentor, preaching friend that I've loved listening to for many years, Wayne Smith, said, I know the Bible says you're not supposed to hate anybody, but if that ever changes, I got my guy picked out. Did you just think of somebody, right? God loves people. Even though we don't sometimes... Sometimes we struggle with that. You know, sometimes we say, God loves you. I'm working on it, right? We, we're we're kind of we that way, right? But God loves people. We need to understand something very important in this verse. It doesn't actually say that God loves people. It says God loves the world, right? Well, who or what is, is the world? Because we're told to stay out of the world, right? We're taught, hey, stay away from the world. Don't be in, you know, don't... Don't uh, get caught up in the world and don't value the world too much. So which is it? Well, the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle John, I'm sorry, who wrote the book of John, uh, 
and he had a specific group of people in mind when he wrote this passage of Scripture. You can see that when, he, when you read the rest of the book. And when he used the word world, he didn't mean planet Earth. He meant the people who didn't believe in God. He meant the people who don't follow God. He meant the people who were off doing their own thing. And so what John is saying is God loved the people of the world so much. In other words, the sinners, right? The people who don't have their act together. God loves them so much the people that don't love him back, the people who take him for granted, the people who avoid him, the people who ignore him, the people who don't care about his command. God loves these people. God loves these non-religious people, these non-Christians. Now, does that raise some questions in your mind? Sure it does. How could God? Have you ever done that? That's one thing I struggle with, you know? How can God love the, the addict that has absolutely thrown his family away and thrown his life away? How can God love someone that much, as much as he loves me, who's committed my entire life to serving him? How, can, how is that even fair? I've struggled with that at times. But that is what the Bible says, in fact, every good thing that I'm doing is kind of like, it's filthy rags compared to God's righteousness, and the only way we're righteous is through the blood of Jesus. It has absolutely nothing with what we do or with what we look like. How pretty our shirt might be. Wally, that's a great looking shirt you've got on, by the way, this morning. I don't know if y'all have seen Wally, but we called each other. And uh, we're wearing the same shirt. Well, we didn't call each other, but we're wearing the exact same shirt. Doesn't matter what we look like. Doesn't matter how we dress. Doesn't matter how we come to church. God loves us. You say, well... Wait a minute, I thought God was angry against sin. I thought God was a wrathful God. I thought God was a, gen a vengeful God. Well, God is angry at our sin, right? There's even a word that is commonly associated with God's anger against sin. It's called wrath. We've heard about the wrath of God. And we read all through the Bible, especially the Old Testament, the wrath of God. It describes also the final judgment in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, how we're going to have to stand before God, give an account for our lives. And those who fail the test on that day will suffer God's eternal wrath. So how can God, how can I stand up here and say, God loves sinners, God so loved the world, yet He's going to pour out His wrath against sinners how, how can we say that he can do both at the same time? The, the Bible clearly says that God judged people who sinned against him, right? We look at Noah's ark and we see that in Noah's day the people were so evil that he wiped out the entire world with the flood because of their evil hearts and because of their evil deeds. He only saved eight people. People literally died because they rebelled against God. The Bible consistently teaches that God feels anger toward people who disobey him, who ignore him, who take him for granted, and that at the appointed time, there is punishment. So how do we m mesh these two together? I believe that God can simultaneously feel both anger and love. 
toward those who ignore him, toward those who don't do right. Anybody in here, parents? <laughs> you ever been angry at your kid and you just want to knock their heads off, but you love them all at the same time? Can I get an amen? Yeah. How many of you in here are married? <laughs> Can you love somebody more than anything else in the world and still be a little aggravated at them? Do not talk to Stacy after the service, please. But every married person, every parent knows what it's like to be able to feel love and feel anger at the same time. And John 3.16 tells us that God loves all people, even those who make Him angry, even those who disobey and ignore Him. And because of His love, He is giving us a limited time to surrender our lives to Him. So that we don't have to perish. In fact, God's love is so intense that in 1 John 4, 8, the Bible says God is love. It's not just an attribute of his life. He is love. God is not like this unfeeling computer who's up there that just, you know, has programmed everything. He is full of love. He is love. And the Bible very clearly says God feels compassion for people. God loves the poor and the rich. He loves men. He loves women. He loves boys. He loves girls. He loves the older person using a walker. He loves a newborn sleeping in her mother's arms. He loves those who are strong and healthy. And he loves those who are sick and weak. And those who are abandoned and broken. He loves people from every people group, black, white, brown, and everything in between. God loves the self-disciplined. He loves the addict. He loves the high and mighty. He loves the low and the powerless and the oppressed. God loves liars and thieves, adulterers, pimps, and prostitutes. God loves murderers, gang members, those who abort babies. He loves them. He doesn't approve. And one day, if they're not right with God, they're going to pay. But God loves them. God loves everyone in the LGBTQ community and every other letter of the alphabet. God loves the greedy, the lazy, the good for nothing, the employed and the unemployed, the homeless. He loves deadbeat dads and he loves people who've been divorced. He loves people who've been happily married for years and he loves people who are miserably married. He loves the single. He loves the widowed. God loves those who bow down to idols and those who bow down to sports teams. He loves those who are addicted to pornography. He loves atheists and Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and he loves those who take his name in vain. God literally loves the world. He loves evil people. Even people who are trying to push him out of our society. He loves his enemies. He loves those who hate him. Isn't that amazing? He loves the gentle soul that wouldn't swat a fly, and he loves the selfish, the mean, the proud, the vicious people. He loves everyone, and he loves you no matter what you've done. And so the first amazing truth that we learn from this passage of Scripture in John 3.16 is that God loves 
people. He loves sinners. Now, the second amazing truth is this. He showed us how much he loved us by giving us his son. If you love someone a lot, you're going to show them how much you love them, right? And this is how much God loves us. And I know this is elementary, right? But I think it's good for us to remember. This is how God loved the world or how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. God didn't just love us in words alone. He followed it up with action. God demonstrated his love for us in sending Jesus to the world. And this is, a, this is an act of radical, unthinkable love. How unthinkable is it? I want you for just a moment. In, in fact, let, let's just do that. Just close your eyes for just a moment. All right, I promise I won't embarrass you. Trust me on this. Close your eyes. And I want you to call to mind the person you love the most in the world. Maybe it's your spouse or a parent or a child, a friend, a brother or sister. And, and with your eyes closed still, call to mind the person toward whom you have the worst feelings. Maybe you have an enemy. Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's somebody that you've never really met, like a celebrity or a politician, but you literally can't stand this person. Being around this person or seeing this person or listening to this person, it just grates on your nerves so bad. And now suppose this person is in terrible need. Let's say in the hospital, in critical condition. Maybe they need a kidney transplant or something like that in order to survive. Would you be willing to help that person in costly ways? Would you give thousands of dollars to help that person that you're thinking of right now? Would you volunteer to donate a kidney? Would you ask the person that you love the most in the world to donate his or her kidney to save the person that you don't really like all that much? Would you do that? Go ahead and open your eyes. I, I want you to just think about the, per, the two people that you had in mind, the one you love the most, the one you really don't like at all. Imagine saying goodbye to the person you love the most and seeing him or her wheeled through the hospital doors, maybe in a wheelchair, and then seeing later the person that you can't stand coming out of that same set of doors is now okay. Suppose the person you dislike the most was about to be sentenced to a place of eternal torment forever. And suppose you could rescue that person by having the person you love most in the world beaten up by soldiers, mocked, spit on, whipped, and then have nails driven through their hands and feet and crucified on a wooden cross till he died. Would you do that? Would you make that trade? This is what God did. When he gave Jesus to the world, he did the unthinkable. And this gift is the greatest evidence for the love of God uh, for sinners that we 
can even imagine. It's the greatest evidence of his love for you. God did this for you. The Bible says this in Romans 5, 6, and 8. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. And here's the kicker. While we were still sinners. He didn't say, go get your act cleaned up first, world, and then I will send Jesus to be this sacrifice. He sent Jesus first. For all of us, for all of us sinners, for all of us no good people of the world who are under this death sentence. Because here's the deal. Every single one of us, from the moment we were born, we were under this death sentence because of our sins against God. Now, not as babies. We, weren't, we don't sin when we're babies. We sin when we get older. But the moment we were born into this world, we had this, uh, I guess, inkling towards sin, this sinful nature, right? And, and somewhere along the line, we were going to blow it. And God is the perfect judge. And here's the deal. He doesn't just acquit us, right? He doesn't just say, well, you know what? We're throwing it out. He doesn't just overlook sin and say, well, it's okay. This is why John 3.16 talks about the possibility of perishing. This perishing is not just dying physically. It's this perishing that is a spiritual death as well by being condemned by God to live in eternal sorrow. And so that... Sinful people did not have to experience this type of death. God sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life in obedience to God. And, and, and He suffered the torture. He suffered the death by being nailed to a wooden cross until He died. He died the death that we deserve. He was our substitute. He took the fall for us. And the Bible teaches us that you can never be good enough. You can never do enough good things to earn your way to heaven. You can never do enough right things to atone for your sins. That's only done when Jesus, His blood is applied to our sins, when we place our belief in Him. And the reason why this could happen is because Jesus was like no other man that ever lived. Right? He, he, he was perfect. He was both man and he was God at the same time. And the Bible says in John 3.16 that God sent his one and only son. God's unique, specially loved son. You think about this. We read through scripture. The times that God said, this is my son and I love him. Remember when Jesus was baptized, about 30 years old, John the Baptist baptizes him. What happens, right? The dove comes down from heaven, voice comes down from heaven. This is my son whom I love. I am well pleased. To make sure people got the message a few years later, Jesus went up on a mountain with a few of his disciples. God said the same thing again. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. God time and time again says, this is my son and I love him. And when God gave you his one and only son, he left no doubt 
No doubt for how much he loves you because I'm, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say there's not a person in this room that'd do the same thing. I've said this numerous times. I got two of them. I got two sons. I, even on their worst day as little snot-nosed kids, I wouldn't have given you either one of them. Maybe you've experienced things that make you doubt God's love. Maybe some of you have had difficult lives growing up. Maybe some of you suffered from abuse or you've got physical problems or you've got disabilities or maybe you've had some kind of sickness or disease or you've suffered failure after failure and because of all of those things you've doubted if there is a God and if He loves you. Maybe people have rejected you for whatever reason and your life has just been really hard, maybe even agonizing. Maybe you grew up in a painful family situation or maybe with no family. Maybe you just suffered one setback after another, one heartbreak after another, one failure after another. Those things are heartbreaking, but that does not mean that God does not love you. When the Bible says that God gave us his one and only son, he left no doubt about his love for you. And when you think of Jesus on the cross, you should hear the Father saying to you, this is what I'm willing to give for you. This is how much I love you. And you should hear Jesus, the Son, saying from the cross, this is what I'm willing to do for you. This is how much I love you. So these are two amazing truths about this passage of Scripture. God loves the world. God loves you, right? And this is how much he showed his love for you. Oh, great. That's awesome. Now everything's okay. God demonstrated his love by sending Jesus. So now whenever I die, everybody just goes to heaven, right? No. There's more to it. You've got to make a decision. You've got to respond to God's love. You must make that decision. John 3.16, for this how, how much God loved the world, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him, it's very crucial for us to notice what this does not say. John 3.16 does not say this. It does not say whoever obeys all of my commands, whoever obeys all the laws of the Bible, shall not perish but have everlasting life. It says whoever believes in him. That is in Jesus. That's what he's talking about. It doesn't say whoever does enough good works whoever donates to charity, whoever reads their Bible, whoever says their prayers every day, whoever goes to church every week shall not perish but have everlasting life. Those are just evidences of our love back to Him. It's not earning us anything. Whoever believes in Him 
will not perish but have everlasting life. No one can be good enough for God. That's why God had to send Jesus. If we could be good enough, as the old saying goes, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. And so when we read through the New Testament, more specifically the book of Acts, we see all of these people after Peter stood up in Acts chapter 2 and he said, this Jesus that you crucified, he's the son of God. This is who the prophets were talking about all this time. This Jesus that you crucified, he's the Messiah and you all killed him. And it says when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, Peter, what should we do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so when we read through the book of Acts, everybody that gave their life to Christ, who believed that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish. Every single person in the book of Acts who believed in that, it was the same response. They believed in Jesus. They repented of their sins. They were baptized into him. And then they started living their life as a new creation in Jesus Christ. And down through the years, we've just made that more difficult than it needs to be. Would you agree with me that down through the years, we've added so much to it or taken away something from it, and, and, and Jesus is just saying, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life, just believe in me, do what the word says, repent of your sins, be baptized, and let's get on with life. It's not that hard. It kind of reminds me of a story when we were kids. We were playing at my uh, cousin's house, my aunt and uncle and cousin's house, Aunt Barbara, Uncle Larry, and all the kids, right? And we're all playing, and we're running through the house like a bunch of wild, crazy people like kids do. And so we find ourselves upstairs. And for some odd reason, we all thought it would be a great idea to go into the attic, not realizing that the attic didn't have a floor. Right, And so we didn't know that we're supposed to step on the boards. And my cousin Sandy fell through the ceiling and landed on the front porch of the house. And we're all standing over the hole just kind of looking down at her. And she's got a broken leg. And someone says, hurry, go get, go get Aunt Barbara, right? And so my sister says, I'll go. And so my sister Julie, she runs downstairs. She gets my Aunt Barbara. She says, Aunt Barbara, come quick. Sandy's falling and, she hurt. and she's hurt. Where's she at? She says, come on with me. And so she runs back upstairs into the attic and says, she's down there. If she'd just walked out the front door, she'd have been on the front porch. But my sister made it way harder than it needed to be. And that's what we do with Jesus. God says, this is my son. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And he's like, no, you got to do this. you got to take this class. you got to live like this. you got to go get your act cleaned up first. Where does it say that in Scripture? Mark 16, 16 simply says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not, doesn't believe. They're, they're, they're lost already. And I think he's saying the same thing to us. It's not that hard. And, and if you're here today and you, maybe I've described some things in your life growing up that made you maybe not realize how much God loved you. Maybe he spoke to you today in some way through his word. And you want to respond to that by surrendering your life to Him. 
I'm going to ask our worship team to come. We're going to lead you in a song right now. We want you to sing this song with us. And, and, and if you want to surrender your life to Christ, I, we encourage you to do just like the, the, uh, uh, the Christians in the first century church did. Just come. Give your life to Christ. Turn away from that old way of life. Be baptized into him and become that new creation. If God loved you enough to send the one he loved the most to die for someone like you and me, is it really all that much to obey what he's asked of us? It's not, is it, compared to what he's given us? And today, during our song of decision, I'm going to ask you to stand. Um, and if you have a need and you want to respond to the gospel this morning, I know that a couple of our elders will be down front here with you this morning. Um, I'll, I'll be with you as well. Um, I'm going to guess that most of you in this room have already made the choice to follow Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you if you would just reflect on your life and how much you've modeled the life of Jesus lately. Are you giving people that you come into contact with an accurate picture of who Jesus is and just how much God loves them? Would you pray with me?